Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning uh, to hear your word and to live it out in your name. Amen. Amen. So this is chapter 10 of the book of Acts. We've hit sort of the the highlights, specifically some of the things that Peter mentions in his encounter with Cornelius and, and Cornelius's household, his family. I think what is so key for us to recognize at this point in the story in Acts is that the gospel, the message of Jesus and his salvation and his good news for the world has primarily been extended just to Jewish people. Right at the first Pentecost, you had all of the Jews from various nations gathered together, and they heard uh, the words of God, the mighty works of God being proclaimed in their own languages. But primarily, this has been to a Jewish people so far. And yet, God's heart has been for that word to go out from Jerusalem into the countryside around, and then into the countries around, and eventually into the whole world. And Acts ends with that mission in mind, having started in Jerusalem, it ends with Paul en route to go before the greatest political authority of the time, which was the Roman Empire, right? And so you have that movement. Uh, Luke, in writing Acts, is tracing that movement for us of the gospel beginning, very small, ordinary beginnings, but beginning and then growing all the way in, in a very much sense to the greatest power in the world at the time. But this chapter marks a significant moment in moving from particularly the word to a Jewish people to now being extended beyond just a Jewish people. And Peter requires something of a recalibration of his mind, of his imagination, to realize that this is indeed part of what God wants to do. What he says here at one point is, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean do not call common. That's the word that Peter needs to realize, and he'll repeat it when he reports to the church about this episode in chapter 11. He realizes this is uh, a shift that needed to happen in his own understanding, that the people that Peter initially would have thought of as unclean, as potentially unworthy to hear about God, as not needing to be engaged with, do indeed need to hear the gospel. Is God's redemptive salvation, in other words, just for Israel or just for a particular ethnic group? Or is it, surprisingly for many, for the Gentiles as well, for the non-Jews, for the others? And so the first thing to note about this passage is that Peter, even Peter the Apostle, who's walked with Jesus, needs a change in his perspective. He needs to be open to the Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to adapt his thinking for the challenge that lays before him. And so often, I think, even in my own life, and I'm sure in yours too, there's been moments where you realize my perspective is faulty or my vision, my way of seeing this is flawed or my approach to this situation or to this relationship or to my walk with God is broken and is in need of rejuvenation. I'm in need of a fresh word from the Spirit to know how to navigate what's before me, to know what to do next. That's Peter this morning. And that, I think, is also the case for many of us in life. There are moments where we need to hear from, the, from God, from the Spirit, to know what we need to do. 
Peter needs a revelation, a shift in perspective. And so often do we. And, and yet when we discover God's perspective, often it's surprising. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it leaves us, as Peter is left, inwardly perplexed. And God's quite okay with you being inwardly perplexed for a time. Did you know that? Sometimes when God speaks, we don't quite get what's going on at first. What is this about? And there is a movement from an initial uh, surprise of what God maybe is doing in our lives uh, uh, to, to a moment later where we then begin to understand that's what this is about. Okay. And we see that in Peter. So you can take comfort knowing, if you ever felt kind of confused about what God's doing in your life, um, Peter's been there too, so you're in good company. Right? If the Apostle Peter has been in a place where he's going, God, I don't really get what you're doing, and I don't really get the timing, and I'm inwardly perplexed, you and I can be there too. It's okay. And God will look after us. Peter is hungry for lunch. He goes up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's about noon. He's, he's hungry, verse 10. He wants something to eat. And, and while some of the guys downstairs are preparing lunch, he has a vision. He falls into a trance, verse 10. Verse 11, he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And on it are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I don't like what you're asking me to do. No, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Of course, this is part of their Jewish tradition. There's certain animals that you don't eat. There's certain things you don't do. There's certain things you are not to engage in. The voice comes to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and then the thing was taken up to heaven. And then verse 17, one of the most encouraging verses probably in all of Acts, while Peter is inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, God was doing something that was bringing that vision to fruition. God was the instigator of the vision. And God was working in other people's lives to bring this thing together for Peter. Peter didn't know that God had planted a word in Cornelius and Cornelius had sent his, his servants to come and get Peter. He had no clue about that. But God was at work in ways that Peter was not expecting. Folks, did you know God's at work in ways that you and I have no clue about right now? God's at work in Canada and in our city and in your family, and in your marriage, and in your school in ways you and I have no idea about. And that's really encouraging. Because if it was all up to me, I'd probably, I'd probably mess the whole thing up. Peter certainly would. He's still inwardly perplexed. Doesn't have a hot clue what God's talking about. But God is working to bring Peter to a place of deeper understanding. Peter is hungry gets a vision about ceremonially unclean lunch choices, and a few moments later is baptizing Gentile believers, something he would have not expected. Peter is pulled up by the Spirit. He's stopped short along the way. It's a moment of confusion, right, between 
upholding the old covenant or living in light of the cross and the resurrection, obeying the living word of God by the Holy Spirit. But notice it's not that the animals were never unclean. It's that God has done something to transform those animals to now be ready for Peter to go and eat, right? What God has made clean, do not call common. It's not that perhaps they weren't, they are unclean in Old Testament law, right? But God has done something to prepare those animals so that Peter can then go and eat them. That's the idea. God has allowed that to happen. Something's shifted that God has done. And Peter, you need to get on board with it is essentially the message. So much so that Peter gets it three times and is still sitting there like, I, don't, I still don't get it, God. You got to help me out here. I don't get it. I'm still hungry, right? And then they show up. He's inwardly perplexed. What does he do? And then suddenly three people appear at the door and they're summoning him. Verse 18, calling out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, so he's still trying to figure out, I, what, <laughs> what did I just see? <laughs> What's happening, right? While Peter is still pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, like the rise in the vision, right? Rise, go and eat now. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. It's encouraging to know, isn't it, that when God is doing something new, when God is surprising and unsettling and perplexing, he continues to speak through his spirit to bring assurance and confidence and insight. And we need to be willing to listen to that confirmation of the spirit. As Peter is inwardly perplexed, the Spirit continues to speak and confirms that something's happening here and gives Peter understanding. You know, that's also encouraging because you don't know who's showing up at the door. They're living in a time where potentially there could be people trying to come after them, aren't pleased that he's a leader in the church, right? And suddenly someone shows up up at the door. It's probably a safety issue, a bit of concern. But a response from the Spirit, no, it's okay, rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation. I've got this. It's okay. It's okay. The Spirit needs to confirm in Peter a deeper understanding that there's something he is at work doing here. And then when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, the pieces of the puzzle start to fit together for him. Where once over lunch... He had seen the ceremonially unclean animals descending on the sheet. Suddenly, he opens the door and finds a group of Gentiles, of ceremonially unclean Gentiles before him. And suddenly, Peter gets it. And he says as much. He realizes the vision was preparing him for something he needed to live out. He needed a new approach, a new association with the people that he considered others. And he says so in verse 28. Look at his words here. By now he started to get it. He said to them, 
you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You know that you're being asked potentially to do something that's unlawful here. But God. But God. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter had one way of thinking, but then when confronted by God, his thinking needed to be changed. His thinking needed to be rejuvenated by the gospel. The Spirit of God was preparing Peter for the launch of the Christian mission into the rest of the world, that all people, regardless of your background and regardless of your ethnicity, are invited to participate in the life-giving love of God. And that's made possible through faith in Jesus. In a sense, chapter 10 is the story of how the Holy Spirit has to dismantle Peter's own presuppositions about what living the Christian life and pursuing the Christian mission actually mean. He's encouraged to set aside any potential prejudices against other people, particularly on their race, those that would be considered the unclean the dirty, or the contemptible, not worth being around. And the Spirit brings Peter to a place where he has to realize. Look at verse 34. He opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. No one's better than the next. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, and does what is right, is acceptable to him. No ethnic group becomes better or worse than the other. No particular group deserves God's forgiveness more than the next or is less deserving of God's forgiveness more than the next. But we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that includes every single one of us in this room today. And everyone who maybe is watching online, we all fall short. But God, God's reconciling salvation work is for all. To rescue us out of our sin and out of our pride or our greed or our addictions. We all have them. To bring us out of darkness and into light. And God's reconciling work here for Peter includes a check of any sort of racial division that may be latent in the church to reassess the ways of thinking that suggest, once again, that one group is better or worse than the other simply because of their ethnicity. Peter has to reassess that and to take on to choose to live out what Jesus lived out time and time again in his earthly ministry to go and sit with the one who was unappreciated 
to go and be with the Samaritan woman when he's not supposed to be A, with a Samaritan as a Jew, B, a man with a woman alone, a rabbi to someone who's uneducated potentially, a supposed righteous person to someone who's a sinner. Jesus goes and does that. And now he's inviting Peter to go and do that, to remember that Jesus is the one who goes and eats and drinks with the sinners. And it's the religious people who kill him for it. Peter experiences a call to respond with obedience to the new work of the Spirit, to get to meet with those who need to hear about the gospel, even if it doesn't make sense at first. As I was thinking about this passage and, and how Peter's invited to those in need, and then, of course, Acts carries that on, right? And Paul spearheads that movement and does the mission stuff into the Gentile world. But that whole sense of, of needing to be reminded again of the call to those that we would potentially consider unclean. I was reminded of Matthew 25, and there's a really, there's, there's a really great encouragement in Matthew 25, and there's a really sobering bit that's really difficult. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is a parable of Jesus in reaching out to those that are difficult to reach out to. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's probably a familiar encouragement, right? To care well, to, to extend compassion to people in need. Good idea. But then listen to how the parable concludes, because it's a sobering picture. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. It's a sobering picture, friends, of how important to the heart of God is a call to extend love and compassion to those that God has made clean. And as Peter embraces that larger view of God's vision to the Gentiles, that vision to reimagine those who are common or dirty, to be part of the community of faith, the family of God, and as he begins to preach the gospel and tell them about Jesus, to proclaim his life and his death and his resurrection, the Spirit descends on the household and confirms the preaching of the word. So much so that in verse 45, at the end of the chapter, Peter and the Jewish believers are just amazed at what's going on because the gift of the Spirit is now being poured out even on the Gentiles, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're extolling God. It's like a second Pentecost. It's like a second outpouring. And it's demonstrating and affirming that God sees these ones who are outside of the initial covenant as now full citizens in the kingdom of God, full participants in the life-giving and healing mercy of Jesus extended to the nations. And because they're sitting there speaking in tongues, Peter just says, well, we might as well water baptize them. We can't, who, who can, we can't withhold it. They're speaking in tongues. They clearly believe in Jesus. We need to baptize them. We better get on it. And so they do. Can anyone withhold, verse 47, water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he commanded them to be baptized. And then they say, why don't you hang out for a few days? Tell us more about living this life. You've received the Spirit, which is a sign of being part of the new people of God. And so they apply that gift of baptism of water, a sign of repentance and salvation, a symbol of their new life in Christ. That's Acts chapter 10. And when it's easy to ask, I think, what are some of the implications for us? I think personally, all of us then need to, need to ask, Lord, are there people that I tend to look down on? Are there people that I would consider common or unclean that you have made whole and cleansed and you've, you've made in your image that you've died for? Is there something in my own heart or mind or, or imagination, Lord, that you need to lead me into a deeper understanding? That's the first thing, I think, to ask. The second thing is to say it's okay when we feel a moment of being inwardly perplexed, much like Peter, to know that God has got us in those moments and he'll walk with us to a better place of understanding and wholeness that we need from him. Sometimes we can feel kind of in that in-between place. There's an encouragement here that that God will see you through. If you're in a place this morning, you're just like, I feel kind of lost. I don't really know about God. I don't really know what's going on in my life. There's an encouragement here that God still got you, even if it looks really confusing and hard. And there's a call to consider how, how best and wisely and appropriately to care well for those who are in need those who are looking, those who are uh, 
being <laughs> being worked on by God, even though we may not see it. And it's helpful here to remember that God is at work in the hearts of people in ways that we don't expect. Peter wasn't expecting it from Cornelius, and yet he was willing to be obedient to what God led him into so that he could extend the gospel to them. And God affirmed that by the outpouring of the Spirit. And so today, there's a call for us to to say, Lord, are there areas in my life where I need you to speak, where I need uh, a fresh orientation of what you want to do in and through me? And Lord, may I uh, know it's okay to wrestle well in those moments of feeling perplexed. And Lord, may I trust that you've got me and you've got this and you are working in the lives of people probably the ones I least expect. You call me to be faithful and obedient to that task of reaching out to them when I'm able. And so let's pray together to that end. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray, Jesus, that as we would uh, hear this word this morning, you would remind us that your gospel is for all people that where we encounter issues where people suggest one ethnicity is better than the other, Lord, that is a clearly anti-gospel approach. You love everybody, regardless of our past, regardless of the color of our skin or our socioeconomic demographic. Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts to be willing to extend the truth and the hope of your gospel to our neighbors, to those in need, to those in our families, our loved ones, Lord, who don't know you. And we trust this morning, Lord, that just as you were at work in the life of Cornelius and his household, so, Lord, we pray that you would be at work in the lives of our loved ones and those that don't know you, that you would be preparing the soil of their hearts to hear the word of your salvation. Lord, we pray for those that we would deem uh, as ones who would never respond to the good news of Jesus. Lord, that you would do a work in their hearts. Lord, that you would soften uh, the soil of hearts so that that word can be implanted and take root. Lord, I also thank you that... um, This passage shows that you're faithful even in moments where we are confused and struggling. And Lord, a lot of us, in light of COVID and restrictions and things going on in our world, it's easy to feel down and confused and frustrated and broken. Lord, thank you that you've got us and you care for us uh, even in these seasons. Just as you uh, were leading and guiding Peter as he was inwardly perplexed wondering what you were doing. Lord, would you lead and guide us as we put our trust in you, knowing that you hold us and you keep us uh, and you have a good plan in store. Lord, we bless you today and we thank you for this time of worship and fellowship together. In your name, amen. Amen.
uh, I'll invite you to stand. I'd love to speak the benediction over you if you need to go. Right after the service, we're going to do an information session on talking about uh, potential homeless shelter outreach. And so if you want to stick around for that, uh, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. If you need to go, though, bless you as you go. Receive this benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you know the assurance of the Spirit's work in your life. May you rest in the peace that you are called and chosen and accepted just because of his grace and his love for you. And may you rest in the assurance that he is at work even in the darkness and brokenness of our world. And he calls you into a good place of participation with him in the mission of the gospel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.